So tonight, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. We're almost done with this book, and I have to say very briefly that I've really enjoyed our journey in 1 Chronicles. We'll have one more study next week in Chronicles, and I don't like to say a certain book's been my favorite, because I've been saying that the whole way we've been going since Genesis, but I think this is my favorite. And names and all, all the names, the genealogies, I've loved it. I've enjoyed everything God's been showing us in this book. And as we come to chapter 28, there's a lot of content. Uh, this is a chapter without a lot of names. This is more like content, historical record. Things are happening. David is stepping into eternity, the great King David. It's about 1000 BC. And the nation of Israel is going to build that temple. And David has prepared diligently for his son Solomon to build it. In chapter 28, David recounts to the people as he's gathered all the people together that God forbid him from building the temple because he had been a man of blood, but the man of peace, his son Solomon, would be building the temple. And so as we come into our text tonight, we're in the middle of this dialogue where David has risen and he's addressing all the leaders, the, the leaders of the 12 tribes, everybody, the leaders of the Levites, and they're all gathered together and he's He's saying very important things, and he's giving exhortations and instructions, because as we come to the text, the text we're going to read tonight, and we have a fair bit of text, the rest of the chapter from once we come into it, we have to remind ourselves, this deals with building the temple of God. This was the single, of all things built in the ancient civilizations, this is the greatest, without question, because it's divine in origin, and it came from the Lord, the plans, the details, the temple stood for centuries before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. Eventually it was rebuilt. But for hundreds of years, it became that central place of worship for Israel. And there was nothing like it really on planet Earth at its time. And in history, it's still such a unique thing that took place that God decreed. It was a, a huge undertaking. It took more than a decade. We'll get more of it when we get to Second Chronicles. But in the context of what David is saying in his exhortations, I just want to help us understand this is a, a project, an undertaking that's massive in its details and glorious in its origin and purpose for the Lord. And so we pick it up in verse 6 where David is talking about how God chose his son Solomon to build a temple. And he comes to a threshold where he says this, talking about the Lord. He says, now the Lord said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is to this day. Now therefore, this is what David says, verse 8, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. So he's addressing all the nation right there, all the 12 tribes. And then in verse 9, David says this, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. And the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. 
of the courts of the house of the Lord, all the chambers all around it, the treasuries of the house of the Lord, the house of God, and the treasuries for the dedicated things, also for the division of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the articles of service in the house of the Lord. He gave gold by weight for things of gold, for all the articles used in every kind of service. Also silver for all the articles of silver by weight, for all the articles used in every kind of service. The weights for the lampstands of gold, the lampstands of gold by weight for each lampstand and its lampstand, for the lampstands of silver by weight, and for the lampstands and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand. And by the weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for each table, and silver for the tables of silver. Also pure gold for the forks, the basins, the pitchers of pure gold, and the golden bowls. He gave gold by weight for every bowl, and for the silver bowls, silver by weight for every bowl, and refined gold by weight for the altar of incense, for the construction of the chariot, that is, the golden cherubim that spread their wing and overshadowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of the Lord. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of the workmanship for every kind of service. Also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. So David set him up. David was not allowed to build a temple. He wasn't going to build the temple. He wasn't going to build it. But he prepared everything for his son Solomon to do it. So he had all the wealth and the treasuries of gold and silver, the skilled labor force that could produce the things that need to be done with the temple in relation to it, and the plans, the actual plans to do it. It's a great undertaking. Now, when we think of our lives, we think, well, you know, when would I ever build the temple, right? Like, because this is something great. This is a, a huge responsibility for King Solomon. It's a great thing. And anything great in general is not a common thing, and that's why it's great. It requires planning and effort, skills, management, organization. Some of you have been in leadership previously with jobs. Some of you may be in leadership with jobs. Some of you maybe feel like you've done profound things in your life. Some of you feel like, nah, kind of pretty average life. I've just been faithful and diligent with what God has called me to do. So as a reference point for something great, I don't want this to seem unattainable for us. In other words, when we look at this text and you think, how does this apply to me? Because the focus is going to be this great work that God had for Solomon to do. I want to really make it obtainable for all of us as to not just maybe what our past looks like, but really our present and what our future might look like. It was a task. So when you think about being great or doing great things or being successful, or we would say biblically fruitful, but it means one and the same. Because if you're fruitful for the Lord, that means you're successful for the Lord. It's just a different, it's a Christianese word for the same thing. We're all saved, like we've been saying, to do something. And we're to go from glory to glory. And there's new adventures and there's new chapters of our life till the very end. Pastor Brent and I prayed with a woman the other night in her 80s who said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find out what God's greatness is for me at this point in my life and what I'm called to do. And I said, well, that's for you to seek and find out. 
But let's pray for you that God will show you what that greatness looks like at this juncture in your life. So with that in mind, remember the context, it's task-specific. This task has a start point and a finish point, and it's something great, and it took over a decade. So let's think big with the Lord right now and think about what he wants to do with our lives, each one individually, whoever we are, wherever we're at, of what that greatness might be. Because your greatness isn't measured by someone else's greatness or your success by someone else's success with the Lord. Your greatness and your success with the Lord will always be measured by what he created you for and equipped you for and what you did with it. So keep that in mind. So as we come to this, our title tonight is Success with God. Or we can say being fruitful with God. Both titles would apply. And it required a lot of text because the text all goes together. And we're going to learn some things as we think about this passage, these passages, and looking at this great commissioning. Because we're going to see this work accomplished. But this is the exhortation from dad, the king to the people, the king to his son, and then the equipping of his son to do that task. It's all there. He's set up to do and get it done. So when I think about being fruitful and successful with the Lord and accomplishing great things, because we can be great, because Jesus is great, and his work on the cross, his resurrection, his promises are that we would be fully all we're meant to be, which is our own manner of greatness. The first thing we see, and this is, I mean, this is so imperative and so foundational for the human experience. And this is the dividing line between a life worth living and a life not in the sense of a well-lived and fulfilled or not. And we find it when David is addressing the assembly. Listen what he says. Be careful. That's a strong exhortation. Be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord God. Not some. All. And not flippantly. Be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God That is, that you may possess and leave an inheritance, but right now, all the commandments. This goes back to Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts. I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Without a doubt, of all things I'm surest of, and I'm sure of a lot of things, and they're all based upon God's word, his promises, and the person of Jesus Christ, but absolutely the word of God is the highest authority in both all the dimensions of our universe that God made, His word reigns over it all. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of my word will pass away. No crossing of the T or the dotting of the I will pass away. All of it. All of it. It's exalted even above his name is his word. In fact, of course, the title for Jesus in the Gospel of John is he is the word. He's the very word of God, the father to humanity created in his image, in his glory. When our life is done, the fruit, the success, or the lack thereof will be measured by one foundational element, how diligent we were to believe, receive, and obey God's word from Genesis to Revelation. This is the key to a successful life for every soul on planet Earth. And the people on planet Earth in 24 time zones, in thousands of different dialects, Thousands of languages and thousands of dialects, which are subdivisions of languages. This Sunday, it's already Sunday across the date line. It's Sunday in Australia right now. 
and as the day unfolds, hour by hour, wherever people are gathered together, and they're gathered around the person of Jesus Christ and the word of God, where they're opening the word, and they're believing the word, and they're obeying the word, those people have put themselves in the place of God's blessing. When God's word from Genesis to Revelation is our compass, we are safe and secure in the entire journey. You would never sail out of Newport Harbor and say, I'm going to Tahiti or you know, Easter Island, Rapa Nui or Hawaii without a compass. In fact, when my son Timmy was going through his training at Cal State Maritime and the maritime mathematics and all he had to learn to be a captain of big vessels, small vessels, he had to learn all these mathematics based upon the stars. They all had to, to learn very detailed how to navigate the stars just like the early explorers did without any electronics. They, they all had, before you could graduate Cal Maritime with a maritime transportation degree, they, they could drop you anywhere on planet Earth in any of the oceans and they would expect you to look up for that time of year, northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere, and be able to evaluate the stars to know where you're at and how to get to your destiny. God has given us the compass on planet Earth to always know which way is north. No matter where you get lost in each of any 24 time zones, if you've got a compass, you can figure out which way is north and begin to assess how to get where you're going. God's word is the compass for the total human being, spirit, mind, and body. His word is our compass for our spirit, mind, body, and emotion. All that we are, his word is to be governing us and guiding us and over us. And we know in our backgrounds of Calvary Chapel ministry and just the evangelical church where we believe the Bible is the final authority, we really do believe the Bible is the final authority. We don't just say we believe the Bible. We're, we're plowing through. You know, I was looking at our website and the way the studies, past studies are arranged, if you go to teachings, they're still marked down here, and then it's Genesis going straight up. It's the last three years. We literally, you can go verse by verse through the Bible with us on our website. Because it's the whole counsel of God. And it's there to guide us. And we hit every topic of spirit, mind, body, and human emotion. And God will always be right. And you see, as we live our 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, if we're going to be fruitful and successful in what God has called us to do, we must have the right foundation. We must have the right compass. And we must know the difference between going to Tahiti, Rapa Nui, or Hawaii when we leave the harbor. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And has been given to us that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And you say, well, Pastor Joey, we know that. We come here and we appreciate that. That's why we come here on Tuesday night or Saturday, whatever. Well, good for us. But there are many forces demonically inspired by demented men and women who would seek to shift you from your confidence, that being your compass. And the devil's been there my entire journey to say almost every day, is that really the compass? And I say pretty much every day, yes, it is. And that's why I read through it year after year after year. And I let God be true and every man a liar. And no matter how much external pressure I feel from society and the whims of men led astray by the devil himself, I do not let myself get shifted from my compass. And though I can't see the end result of that destination, I know that compass keeps me on track to where I'm going. And God's word 
will ensure that you and I and anyone who chooses to let his word guide them will be successful and fruitful because this is our standards of right and wrong and absolute truth. And it'll never change. The Bible is the most read book in human history, and even if it doesn't continue to be so, it'll always be the only book that's the living book, the Word of God. There is no other book. There's all kinds of great books to how to get rich, how to be smart, how to be successful, how to not lose your temper, how to manage a minute. There's all kinds of books out there that can help you to be a better human being for this dimension, but this is the only book that is the final authority, the only words that pierce bone and marrow, soul and spirit, not just for the spiritual, but for everything. Body of Christ, listen to me closely. When David is addressing the nation of Israel, he says to all of them, you be careful to seek out all the commandments. There are parts of the book I don't like or I don't understand, but I don't reject them because maybe my flesh doesn't like them or maybe my limited intellect doesn't understand them. Old Pam O'Connor, Jim O'Connor's wife, he is my assistant pastor in Vermont. Pam O'Connor's a wonderful woman of God, loves the Lord, walking song with the Lord, her and Jim, they've been so faithful for over 30 years now. The first time she read, Wives, Submit to Your Husbands, I'll tell you what she did. She ripped the page right out of her Bible. She ripped it right out. I don't like that. Now, I've never done that physically, but I've done it kind of sneakily in my mind and in my heart. You know, we know there's certain passages, and we're not doing where we're not where we should be at the Lord, and we kind of speed up. It's like a road trip. I'm just going to go past this one pretty quick on Wednesday morning. I'm going to read five chapters because I don't like the third one here. We do stuff like that. There's a little bit of Pam O'Connor in all of us. Rip it out. Recently, we had someone in the children's ministry say that they don't pray for the president. And my wife said, you should pray for the president. Like, well, I'm not going to pray for the president. And they're just ripping the Bible out. Because we're told to pray for all those authorities that are over us, whether we agree with them or not. The early church prayed for Caesar when he's burned him at the stake. And the church wins and Rome lost. Because we love our enemies, and we're not living for the temporal like Nero. We're living for the eternal like our hero, Jesus. So, in all those external pressures, just know that right here, what was true for them 3,000 years ago is even more true for the people of covenant now, the church, and our children and our children's children, that they truly know they can trust the word of God on every matter of life. Because the world that rejects Christ wants to put us in a pigeonhole that we're only the authority on spiritual things, but not, you know, moral things or biological things. No, we are the final authority of everything when we're under God's word. I've never been confused by God's word. It's absolute. Let God's word guide and govern our mind. We are told that the carnal man sets their mind upon the things of the flesh, but the spiritual man or spiritual woman, the things of God. And thus, as our mind is set, for as a man thinketh, so they become... Solomon would write that. What we put our thoughts on is what governs us. And if our thoughts are the thoughts of the Lord and they govern us, then we're moving our soul, our relationships, our family, our calling, everything toward the kingdom. That's why Paul said, whatever things are true, just, noble, praiseworthy, honorable, think on these things. Those are the things of God's commandment. 
Paul, the commandments. Paul himself said, the law can't save anyone, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, because we can't obey it. But the law, I find, still is true, just, and beautiful, and noble. God's law is beautiful and perfect. And I, I cringe for men and women who, in their demented minds, attack it. Ooh, God's word needs to judge us carefully. Never, ever may you be found judging God's word. Because in the next dimension, that's your place in eternity. A dark place by yourself, gnashing and tormented as judge and jury of the word that condemned you. And your own unbelief puts you in that hell for all eternity with no relief. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let his word, all of it, guide and direct every thought process of our life as a compass. Let God be true and every man a liar and keep us going forward in the right direction with all things of the Lord. No matter how much external pressure, let none of these things move you from knowing that his word is his word. And in doing so, we will possess every good thing that God has for us. Every good thing he wants us to have in this life, we will possess it because he gave it to us. It belongs to him for of him and through him and by him are all things. And we give all things back to him so we can just get to eternity and cast our crowns before him in glory. But in this brief journey of life, the promise was there too with the word seeking out carefully the, the commands of the Lord, the blessings of the Lord, to possess all the... I, who wants to come up short of possessing what God has for him? And I'm talking about peace of mind. I'm talking about all the promises to possess and what many of us think of, to pass on the inheritance to our children and our children's children. See, in obeying God's word, receiving as his word is the compass and foundation of our life in all things. So when you're praying about a decision to make and God puts that scripture on your heart, obey it. And you possess what he has for you to possess and you, you set up a blessing for the next generation. That's what you think about in your 60s is how to bless the next generation. And you set up the blessing. It's right there. Leave it as an inheritance for your children after you. We, we live the life of faith believing God's word and we leave the testimony of faith believing God's word. And we pass on to our kids. Yeah, there might be temporal blessings that are passed on, but they just keep getting passed on. But the spiritual blessings are the real blessings that get passed on. What greater spiritual blessing can we give our children and our children's children than a foundation to establish them in truth? See, cults brainwash people. Secularism brainwashes people. Agnostics and atheists brainwash people. The Communist Party's been infiltrating our country for a long time, brainwashing our children in the colleges. Deliberately and intentionally. And they, their ideologies brainwash them against Christ. Because ultimately it's not a political battle, it's a spiritual battle. So the best thing we can do is give them that we believe the Bible is a final authority and we live the Bible as a final authority. And then they, we possess what God has for us. They grow up and possess what God has for them. We leave them an inheritance of faith and whatever else we're supposed to leave for them. And it's all in God's hands. And then we, we pass the baton to them and we'll see them in the next dimension before he can say another dimension. It's been hard to be a pastor for 35 years and watch the attacks and the demise of the influence of the word of God on a society. But it does not deter me because it is a narrow gate. And I want to make sure that you know that God is true, always. And those who judge him are liars, always. We want you to be fruitful. You want to be fruitful. God wants you to be successful. You want to be successful. 
Blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree by the river, and he will bring forth, she will bring forth her fruit in all due seasons. A reminder, read the word, be in the word, speak the word, be the word, live the word, live it, believe it. Man, in every cell of your body, from Genesis to Revelation, the final authority in all things, and you will be fruitful. And you'll be ready for the day of the Lord, needless to say. The second thing we see in all this is so you have governed by the word of God. That's the key to success with everything with God. And that's all that matters. The second thing we see is in verse 9 where it says, uh, he says, so now it's a sincere relationship. Check the wording here. Know the God of your father. Well, that's not just knowing the Bible. Because in ministry, you see a lot of people who know the Bible and they use it like an intellectual book and they, they misapply it like, the Bible isn't the end game. The Bible is to bring us to faith in the one who it declares and then to guide and govern us. But many people want biblical standards but not have, don't have an interest or even a relationship with the Lord. Like, for example, many people that are in the world, they'll read Proverbs for the great wisdom of one of the great sages, Solomon, and they'll miss the whole point that Jesus is Savior and Lord of all. So they learn wisdom for this life, but they don't really learn the true wisdom that the fear of the Lord is, a, is the beginning of wisdom, and that comes with bringing us to Jesus Christ with repentance and faith to be saved and receiving him. So it's, 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 the compass is the compass and the truth is the truth. And this is how you get to Rapa Nui, Tahiti, or Hawaii, or Korea, and this is how it works. That's never going to change. The compass says God's the final authority with his word on every matter of spirit, mind, body, and emotion. But here we're told, he turns to his son, he goes, it's not just enough that you're careful to seek, the, seek out the commandments. You need to seek out the Lord. The relationship is everything. It is everything. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him with a loyal heart. That's not religion. That's relationship. And with a willing mind. That's not some sort of structured to-do list. But a willing mind for the Lord. Search For the Lord searches out all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. So the exhortation to the one who's going to do this great work and is over it is to know the Lord. Seek the Lord. And the promise is given, if you seek the Lord, he'll be found by you. Jesus himself said, seek, knock, and ask. The one that seeks will find, the one that knocks will be open, and the one that asks shall receive. Then in Luke 11, when he taught the same passage from Sermon on the Mount, he said, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So particularly if we're seeking and knocking and asking to go deeper with the Lord, to, to know the voice of the Lord more intimately, to know the heart of the Lord more profoundly, he's, he's going he's gonna to do it. He's going to give us more of himself if we really want to know more of the Lord. See, Paul wrote the Philippians and he said a very mature thing. He said, I have this amazing testimony, but I count that as rubbish that I might know the hope of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And none of us likes suffering and heartache and sorrow. But as Sam shared with the men this morning, and as we had this memorial service for Lorraine Llewellyn today, we realize that it's in the place of suffering and trials and tribulations that we know the Lord more intimately. And we don't have to sign up for the suffering. It'll come. Life guarantees it. David is saying to Solomon, Solomon, it's really cool. You're super smart. And God's going to make you like the smartest man ever. 
and that you know the word of God is true, even if you're not going to obey it in your latter years. But what really matters is that you know the Lord. What was David's strength? He knew the Lord. In all the testings, trials, tragedies, tribulations, and tragedies, he knew the Lord. David knew the Lord and had a heart for the Lord. He never gave up on the Lord, and the Lord always forgave him and cleansed him and healed him and lifted him up. And he's telling his son, you know, Solomon, God has so gifted you, he's even chosen you. But Solomon, temples will come and go, but what really matters is that you know the Lord and that you seek the Lord and you serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. That's the sum total of life. Then Solomon would say at the end of his life, this is the sum total of it, that what did he say at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes? That you would fear the Lord and obey his commandments even though he had not. It's the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. To be successful and fruitful with the Lord is to know the Lord. To be successful and fruitful in life is to know the Lord, because otherwise it's just you doing your own thing. To what avail is that? To be fruitful and successful with the Lord is to be governed by his word as a standard, but then to really know the Lord And Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is the end. You ready for the equation? Okay, this is is your professor now. Jesus equals heaven. Heaven equals Jesus. There's no heaven without Jesus, and there's no Jesus without heaven. He's the Lord of this dimension. He's Lord of the next one, and he's the crown jewel of it all. And though men don't bow the knee in this dimension, everyone bows the knee in that one. Jesus is heaven, heaven is Jesus. And that's why people who hate Jesus don't go to heaven, because that would be their hell. So they get to be alone with themselves instead of with the multitude of people praising Jesus. We want to be with the multitude praising Jesus. They don't. So they set their mind on darkness, they implode on their darkness, and they get outer darkness by themselves. That's hell. But we get the multitude and the light and the life, no more sorrows, and we're praising Jesus. And Jesus is always going to be worthy of our praise. Always. We praise brilliant politicians. We praise brilliant men and women who invent things. We praise athletes and stars and geniuses. All they are, at their very best, is a reflection of being made in God's image. And we're in the image of Christ. But now we're going to put off this mortality, put on immortality when we go to glory. The whole universe truly is about Jesus. And David says to his son, know the Lord. Know him, seek him. So look how simple it is. These are the basic fundamentals of a successful, fruitful life. And doing a large undertaking and being successful with it. Any undertaking, small or large, a task that has a start, finish. Listen, the word of God is your compass for everything in your life. And Jesus is your motive and reason for everything in your life. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Solomon's going to do the greatest thing done in in centuries. And the only thing that his dad says to him is, hey, loyal heart, willing mind, seek Seek him, and he'll be found by you. So even as there's a promise for the people in general to obey the word and seek out the commandments to, to possess and to pass on, well, the, the promise to Solomon was like, hey, you seek him and you'll find him, and they're in his life. 
Jesus said, I can that you might have abundant life. Abundant life is in Jesus. I, I can that your joy would be full. Our joy is full in Jesus. It's all Jesus. Jesus is it. Apart from him, we can do nothing. It's all for him. When, when he called the disciples, he said, what did he say? He didn't say follow religion, follow a set of rules. He said, follow me. Follow me. Jesus calls us to himself. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but the animal sacrifices of being under the blood, that's a position that God gives us. And David set that up to function when he was gone. But the praise was really important because people can be saved, but growing in the faith is when people begin to praise. When you begin to praise. When you begin to praise. You're not just singing, but praising. I went to concerts in the 80s. I sang with Bob Marley at a Bob Marley concert. I sang with Carl Santana at Santana concerts. I'm singing to Jesus in the concert of heaven every time we're in here because it's a preview of coming attractions. That's what it is. When you go like, whoa, it's just a preview of coming attractions. It moves our heart to where we're going. I want to run on greener pastures. I want to run on higher hills. And then the last thing we see in this template that David gave is he gave his son the plans. He gave Solomon the plans, spirit-led plans. Did you catch that in verse 11, verse 12? He said, the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. David had been with the Lord, and God gave him the plans for the temple, the plans that he had by the Spirit. He had the plans. They weren't just any plans. They were Spirit-led plans. So when we think about things that God entrusts us to do or calls us to do, or maybe the boss says do this, or it's just our responsibilities and obligations that we have in the human experience. And we already know that whatever we do, we can do it as unto the Lord and bring him glory. But when we think about greatness, personal greatness, and things that God's calling us to do that take us out of our comfort zone, stretch us, those sorts of things, new responsibilities, a, a big task, we don't want to shrink back from it. We want, we want to get after it. And we want to get after it with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us in what that plan looks like. I've planted churches in Virginia Beach in the Bible Belt in 1991 in the South in a shopping center where people all wore suits and went to traditional churches in the South. And most pastors were like mid-40s with degrees. I was the Calvary guy in the strip mall shopping center with no degree planting a church in the Bible Belt. We'd be driving to church on Sunday morning. Everyone's got a suit on. They're all going to church all over Virginia Beach. And I am with my billabong collar shirt, kind of like this. We were spirit-led to start that church. We went to Vermont, spirit-led to start that church. I planted a church in Burlington, Vermont, in a state that Billy Graham wouldn't go to, D.L. Moody wouldn't go to, and Charles Finney wouldn't go to. Now, that's something. Those are three greatest evangelists, and even Billy Sunday didn't go there. The four greatest evangelists, probably, that we know of never went to Vermont. But we planted a church in a hotel in New England, and we brought Jesus to that community. We planted a church 1.8 miles from Calvary Coast to Mesa with Pastor Chuck's blessings. When we still use flip phones for cell phones, right? We are still figuring out what dot-com means when we started this church. The Spirit led those plans. The Spirit led the plans to be the coach of the U.S. surf team, the coach of the Chilean team, to go to Chile with Hector and the ministry we did doing... Ministry day with Hector. I'm like, just doing ministry with Hector. You know, when Hector's in a memorial like today, I remember when he's my translator at a small, dingy theater in Pichilemu, Chile, and we showed the movie, and I'm trying to use really bad Spanish, and Hector's cleaning it up in 
American Spanish, and the one thing the Chileans agreed on is my Spanish, was, Hector's Spanish was bad, mine was worse. But they understood what we were saying, and people actually got saved. Spirit-led. All of our plans. Plans require planning. And we want to be spirit-led. The, the purpose of the plan is spirit-led. That God has inspired that plan. I spoke with a career person today after the memorial service, and they're approaching retirement in three years. And I said, what, what's your plan for after retirement? Can you do what this person did? No, no, I have a different type of pension. I'm like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to coach youth sports. All right, well, what's the plan? You know, the, the, you know, let the Lord guide you on that. Like, is the Lord in it? He, he's like, well, I'm really good at hazmat stuff. I don't really want to do hazmat. I don't feel like the Lord's called me to that. I want to do youth sports to bring Christ to people, kids with youth sports. I'm like, well, I did that for 20 years. So did Brandon, you know? <laughs> like, this is what we've done. That's what Haley does, you know, with girls' soccer and stuff. And I just really encourage him, like, well, seek the Lord and then write the vision. And see, that's part of this plan because this great plan that David had, I read the whole chapter because in verse 19, he said this, the Lord made me understand in writing of the plan. His hand was upon me in all the works of these plans. He had a vision from the Lord, so the purpose, the, uh, build the temple, that's the topic, build the temple. And the, the, how it was going to happen, God gave it to him. It reminds us of the book of Habakkuk, where God gave Habakkuk a vision, and he said, write the vision, make it plain, so he who reads it can run with it. And keep it simple. Like I was showing with my friend today, I'm like, hey, most plans have you know, a, a mission statement, a vision statement, and core values. Most plans. So your mission is, this is what the mission is. This is why, what we're doing. Vision statement is, this is how we're going to do it. And I said, I never do more than four bullet points on anything. And the core values is what governs you as you go about this plan. Like, what identifies you? What's your DNA? Like, so that's, that's what we talked about. Here's your vision. This is, this is the mission. This is it. This is the mission. This is how we're going to get this mission done. And this is who we are as we fulfill the mission. Now, that may sound complicated, but it's really not that complicated. I keep telling you what my core values are for this church. The word of God's divine authority. The person in the work of Jesus Christ and the sureness of God's promises, and the absolute day of the Lord for all of us. Those are core values. Those are core values of this ministry. Aren't those good core values? Because for one, the word of God is the final authority. Two, everything, everything in the universe is about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. It all revolves around Jesus. And three, the sureness of his promises, because all of his promises are yes and amen. So let's get our hustle on, and let's be great and successful by the work of the Spirit that he wants to do in our life. Let's get a, a new vision. If we're stalled, we're not sure. Hey, think about it. There's no real retiring with the Lord, that's for sure. You might retire from a career, but you don't retire from the Lord. And we should be stretching ourselves for like vision and ideas and creativity and things of the Lord. Lord, speak. Because he still told Solomon, if you seek him, he'll be found by you. And how many people just come up so short of what God wants to do? Write the vision, make it plain, so you can run with it. You. Remind yourself of the vision every day. You. It's a good idea. Write it down. Remind yourself. You know, only like 3% of people write down their goals. And is it interesting? About 3% of people control the world. <laughs> and most of them are goal-oriented. They do that for the temporal. How much more for the eternal? It's not like we have to have this great day planner, but it's... Well, Zig Ziglar talked about 
squandering generality, meandering generality, or deliberate intention. In fact, wandering generality or meaningful specific? That's a good question to ask ourselves when it comes to the Lord. Wandering generality. You're leaving Newport Harbor. You, have your, you don't have your compass. You don't even know where you're going. You're just gonna, that's how most people live. They wake up and leave Newport Harbor, wandering generality. What, what's your life about? I don't know. What, where are you going? I don't know. What do you want to accomplish? I don't know. No, meaningful, specific. Christ on the cross, risen from the grave, is not wandering generality. Christ on the cross, risen from the grave, at the right hand of the Father, with tongues of fire in your life, is not wandering generality. It's meaningful, specific, for what he wants you, 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 and me to do in each of our lives until the trumpet sounds and calls us home. There's no wandering generality with the gospel. It's meaningful, specific, the work of the Lord in our lives. So it is good to seek the Lord and write the vision. And you can always change the vision. It can always be adjusted. But, like, just keep, and, and you count the cost when you write the vision. And you let the Lord confirm the vision. Spirit-led plans, a clear goal and a plan for it to get it done. You start in the spirit, you end in the spirit. Zacharias, you know, when um, Zerubbabel was rebuilding the temple hundreds of years later, what did the Holy Spirit say? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In all that I think about what I want to accomplish by 2028, what I want to accomplish by 2036 when I'm 75, and 2041 when I'm 80, I'm not trying to manufacture stuff in me. I'm trying to let the Lord work through me and give me the vision and, and move in prayer and move in faith and equip people and raise people up and impart the vision. That's what I'm trying to do. Don't sell yourself short and don't sell the gospel short by settling for wandering generality. The Holy Spirit has meaningful specific for each of our lives and the purpose of these lives. And there's no fuzziness with the Lord. Yeah, it's a walk of faith, but it is meaningful specific. And as we seek him, we'll be found by him. He'll be found by us and he'll lead us with what he wants to do. If we get to heaven, you came up short. Don't blame me. Seriously. Because I pretty much exhort you twice a week, get after it and fulfill it. I feel like I wasted so much time of my life that I can't get back. It's the hard part about writing a book about my life is realizing in between the pages that sound good, the wasted pages and foolish chapters that are on the editor's floor. WG. It was a great plan that God had for Solomon. A unique plan unparalleled in almost any other experience in the human experience of life. Really. Really. Solomon in the temple. There's very few things that could even begin to match that. The word of God was the foundation and the absolute compass to guarantee his success. And he was told, along with the general people, to very carefully seek out all the commandments, know it all. Then he was told by his dad, make it about you and the Lord, you and him, willing heart. Loyal, loyal heart, willing mind. He made it about the relationship. And he said, here's the plans that are spirit-led. Write that vision. Finish this work. Don't stop till the work's done. Get it done. And fulfill your purpose in life. Unfortunately for Solomon, he did build the temple, but he didn't fulfill really the fullest potential of his life. So there's something there that we'll see as we get into Second Chronicles. But what a great word for us tonight to think about. to be super fruitful with the Lord 
Isn't it such a simple? It's so simple. So one more time, WG. The word of God is your final authority. Your relationship with Christ is all that matters. And be spirit-led in whatever he tells you to do and whatever you pursue. Yes and amen. amen.